Welcome to the Score Podcast. We've heard of software as a service, and we've heard of data as a service. But have you ever heard of fairness as a service? If not, you're about to. I'm Jeff Richardson, host of the Score Podcast, where we always speak to the most innovative leaders in the marketplace. Lenders have deep benches full of compliance experts, community reinvestment experts, and increasingly, fair lending experts. Most interestingly, some of these efforts have moved from cost centers to areas where investment brings about big returns. I'm delighted to be joined today by a leader that I've known for a little while. We've often crossed paths at conferences, and what's interesting is that seems to be happening with greater frequency as both our organizations and interests are increasingly focused on fair lending. So joining us today is Kareem Saleh, founder and CEO of Fairplay AI. Kareem has been working on financial inclusion and underwriting those hard-to-score borrowers his entire career. At Zest Finance, now Zest AI, he worked with lenders to adopt AI underwriting. At SoftCard, he worked with retailers, financial institutions, and tech companies to democratize mobile payments. And in the Obama administration, he helped manage the team that negotiated the Paris Climate Agreement and oversaw $3 billion in annual investments into development-friendly projects in emerging markets. He's a contributor to Forbes on AI and financial services and loves boxing, poker, and hip-hop. Kareem, thank you so much for joining the SCORE podcast. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Delighted to be here. So as much as I'd love to discuss 90s hip hop with you, I bet you that's the area we have in common. Uh, Let's focus on the fair lending side if we can. We'll try to work some rhymes and alliteration into our conversation today. Perfect. So there's been a lot of focus on fair lending from the CFPB, and much of that, quite rightly, is, is focused on lending decisions. But another dynamic to this is how companies' marketing strategies could potentially introduce bias. Can you speak a little to that and how companies can examine their strategies? Many fairness issues arise from marketing decisions. Marketing is in some sense inherently discriminatory because to be effective, marketers have to distinguish the people who might buy their product from those that can't or won't. So like if you're marketing $100 million yachts, the demographic composition of your potential customer audience is going to be heavily skewed against protected classes for all sorts of reasons related to income inequality, right? So this raises the question of like how marketers can comply with anti-discrimination laws if discrimination is in some sense the defining characteristic of marketing. For, For those of us who work in financial services, there are kind of four broad categories of potential marketing discrimination to be aware of. The first is this one that I've been talking about, which is kind of audience bias. Is your product in some way limited to a pool of consumers that might uh, not be broadly representative of the population? But you also have to worry about things like redlining. So like, are you limiting the marketing of your products to one group relative to another group? Are you limiting the marketing of your products based on kind of impermissible demographic information? Another potential area of marketing discrimination that folks in financial services need to be aware of is steering. You know, are you deliberately guiding one group of consumers toward or away from certain types of financial products? And finally, you got to worry about kind of the fairness of your offers. Are you advertising higher prices or more onerous terms, conditions, or requirements to one group relative to another group? 
The good news is there are like several ways that lenders can test for marketing discrimination. And we always suggest starting with kind of the data, right? So examining the extent to which the data inputs to your marketing models, for example, are predictive of protected status. But you also need to do things like look at the fairness of your target audience, maybe by comparing the demographic characteristics of your target audience with other audience benchmarks, like the demographics of the communities you serve. The other thing to maybe measure is the ratio between those folks who are in your target audience relative to those folks you actually reached, right? So of the composition of your target audience, how many of those protected classes or various other groups are you actually reaching relative to how many of them are in your overall target audience? And then you can look at things like response rates. Like, are we seeing higher response rates from one group relative to another group? And if so, what's driving those differences in response rates? We think right now with the heightened regulatory focus on marketing bias and discrimination issues, the best action that lenders can take is to initiate a practice of testing their marketing for unwarranted disparities and looking for ways to mitigate them. Those are incredible insights, and I'm sure there's a lot of my peers in marketing listening, so thank you for that answer. Let's focus a bit on fair lending, and I alluded to this in the intro. It doesn't always have to be a cost center, does it? So listeners know about how VantageScore expands the pool of applicants for lenders, and our focus is the win-win. With increased inclusivity, a lender can grow its portfolio. But how do you talk to clients about how a greater focus on fairness can actually drive positive business outcomes, revenue, or or however they're defined? I think that there is a common misconception in financial services that fairness and profitability are at odds with one another. But at Fair Play, we like to say that fairness is good for profits, good for people, and good for progress. As you know, there are roughly 50 to 60 million Americans that are hard to score, and that's largely due to limitations in data and mathematics. One way that Fair Play customers are turning fairness into a profit center is by leveraging what we call fairness through awareness techniques as a part of second look programs. So I like to say that for 35 years, we've tried to achieve fairness through blindness. This idea that if we removed protected attributes or proxies for protected attributes, that our decisions will be based on variables that are neutral and objective. But you know, the black home ownership rate today is the same as it was in 1960. So maybe it's time to admit that fairness through blindness hasn't worked, and we should perhaps consider a different approach. There is this new class of machine learning technique called fairness through awareness, in which algorithms are exposed to the distributional properties of protected classes during model training in ways that make those models more sensitive to populations that are not well represented in the data. And let me give you an example about that. So a variable that we encounter all the time in credit models is consistency of employment. And if you think about it, consistency of employment is a perfectly reasonable variable on which to assess the credit worthiness of a man. But all things being equal, consistency of employment is going to have a disparity driving effect for women between the ages of 18 to 45 who take time out of the workforce to raise a family. So maybe we ought to tell these algorithms, hey, you will sometimes encounter a population of people in the world called women, and women will sometimes exhibit inconsistent employment. And so before you decline somebody for inconsistent employment, maybe you should run a check to see if that applicant resembles 
good borrowers on other dimensions you didn't heavily consider. And what we find is that 25 to 33% of the highest scoring black, brown, and female applicants that get declined would have performed as well as the riskiest folks most lenders approve. So today, our partners are leveraging these fairness through awareness techniques as a part of second look programs. So before declining someone on the basis of their you know, primary or incumbent underwriting model, a lender will double check their underwriting and pricing decisions using a fairness aware model to ensure that they're not about to say no to somebody they ought to approve. And what's really tremendous about this, Jeff, is that our customers have been able to increase their approval rates by 10%, increase their take rates by 13%, and increase fairness to protected classes by upwards of 20% by using these fairness through awareness techniques in conjunction with second look programs. It's a great point. And we, we talk about false choices here at Vantage Score quite often, and we will in just a second. But your comments lead me to, to this next question. So that's kind of the proactive opportunity. But what happens when you work with lenders, for example, when there is evidence of a level of bias or a biased proxy, and maybe even start by defining what a biased proxy is? You know, the law is very clear that you're not allowed to use variables like race, gender, or age to make credit decisions. And you're also not allowed to use variables which encode information about race, gender, or age, even if the variable is not explicitly one of those characteristics. And so the law is very clear that you can't use either protected status directly or these proxies for protected status. The difficulty, Jeff, as you know, is that a lot of seemingly fair variables can be proxies, or if they're not proxies themselves, seemingly fair variables can interact with other fair variables to encode information about protected status. Let me give you an example. So imagine we were building a model with the goal of predicting whether someone was a man or a woman. And let's say that as an input to that model, I gave you the variable height. Well, height is somewhat predictive of sex because men tend to be taller than women. Now, of course, there are some really tall women in the world and there are some really short men in the world. So height is not perfectly predictive of sex. So then what if I said, okay, well, in addition to height, I'm going to give you weight. Well, weight adds some incremental predictive power because even at the same height, men tend to be heavier than women due to things like bone muscle density and testosterone. Of course, the problem with a model that seeks to predict gender on the basis of height and weight is that it's going to classify every child as a woman. So what if I told you, okay, in addition to height and weight, I'm now going to give you birth date in an effort to predict whether someone is a man or a woman. Now our algorithm for predicting sex is looking pretty good. But if I had told you a moment ago that birth date was predictive of gender, you would have told me I was crazy. But, but that's an example of the way that seemingly fair variables can interact in ways that proxy for protected status. Now, what's exciting for those of us who work in financial services is the emergence of these new algorithmic fairness techniques, which allow for the de-biasing of data. And these methodologies will typically optimize the relative weights on variables in ways that seek to maximize their predictive power while minimizing their disparity driving effect. So for example, in auto lending, we know that the make and model of a car is predictive of risk. 
but we also know that it's predictive of race. And so algorithmic fairness techniques might suggest tuning down the influence of make and model somewhat while tuning up the influence of another variable, like let's say how many times you've been over your authorized limit on a trade line, which is also predictive of risk, but has less of a disparity driving effect. And by striking the right balance between these two variables, you can retain their predictive power, but neutralize out the effect of the proxy. So that's really interesting in in the sense that models are becoming more sophisticated. And as you know, many fintechs use hundreds, thousands of variables in their underwriting algorithms. So as you look into the future, based on what we've talked about, and we're already seeing these data and models become increasingly sophisticated. Where do you see the biggest risks and opportunities? I think that as algorithms take over higher and higher stakes decisions in people's lives, like whether you get a job interview, whether you get a loan, whether you get a kidney transplant, it is essential to make sure that those algorithms don't pose a threat either to the safety and soundness of the institutions that are using them, or to the consumers that they serve. And so just as Google built search infrastructure for the internet and Stripe is building payments infrastructure for the internet, so too must we build fairness infrastructure for the internet to ensure that the digital decisions uh, that increasingly govern our lives are fair. And, And this is actually an enormous business opportunity. Let me explain why. If you think about it, Every algorithm must be given a target, an objective that it seeks to relentlessly maximize. So take the Facebook algorithm. You know, its objective is to keep you engaged. And so it's going to relentlessly seek to keep you engaged, regardless of whether the stuff it's showing you to to stay engaged is good for your mental health or good for society. Uh, And so if you think about it, you can see why for all sorts of reasons, giving an algorithm a single objective might result in unintended consequences. Think of self-driving cars, right? If if Tesla programmed the neural networks that power its self-driving cars to merely have the objective of getting a passenger from point A to point B, the car might do that while going the wrong way down a one-way street or blowing through red lights or driving on sidewalks and endangering pedestrians. So what does Tesla do? Tesla has to program the neural networks that power itself driving cars to have two objectives, right? Get the passenger from point A to point B while also observing the rules of the road. And the cool thing, Jeff, is that we can do this in financial services. We can give our algorithms multiple targets, like predict who's going to default while also minimizing disparities for protected groups. And what we see there is when you do that is the opportunity to identify these subpopulations who have historically not been well represented in the data, but who are nevertheless good credits when you look at them through different lenses. And so we see a real opportunity for increases in approval rates for protected groups on the order of 10 to 20%. We see opportunities to increase take rates by optimizing pricing by 10 to 20%. And we think we can increase fairness to protected classes on the order of 10 to 20% by using these multiple objective algorithms in consumer credit. It's an exciting space to be in. And Kareem, let's let's leave it there. Thank you for joining us on The Score and, and appreciate all these insights. 
Thanks for having me, Jeff. One of the most exciting trends in the consumer finance industry is the identification and elimination of false choices. You don't have to choose between being more inclusive and fair and ensuring your decisions are predictive and accurate. You don't have to invest in fairness and expect an impact on your bottom line. Lenders and service providers who become experts at these intersections will be the real marketplace winners. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Score. I'm Jeff Richardson, and I look forward to our next conversation. The views and opinions expressed in this episode do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Vantage Score Solutions. Visit VantageScore.com to learn more.